are going. All right. Well, Paula and David, welcome to our latest installment in our, our ongoing uh, series. How are you guys doing? Good enough <laughs> under the circumstances of the world going to hell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I <laughs> Yeah. And of course, for the audience, we're recording this in the guts of October, so there's been uh, lately a disruption in the Middle East, which we'll doubtless talk about. Uh, for people who are just joining us, I will uh, put the uh, previous recording in the description along with David and Paula's sites and that of Apakistastasis. Um, but let's shake off the rust. When we last met, I know David was in a park and... Uh, I think Paul and I were in our typical battle stations here, and we were talking about antisocial behaviors uh, on the part of activists and and other things. So what else uh, to to bring everyone up to date? Have we been uh, talking about lately, and even in previous shows to that? One, well, one of the things I, I mm -hmm. you go. <laughs> uh, I. You know, a, a lot of our conversations, I think, have been, and this is conversations between you and I, John, as well as um, the ones that include David. Uh, uh, for me, anyway, I think the, the, the narrative in this series starts with the conversation we had where that you beautifully entitled Umberto Eco for the win, <laughs> right? And, and I think... Uh, you know, the things that have happened in the last week, which you, everybody's still getting their heads around. Um, what we're looking at here is, is a society that is becoming increasingly polarised and uh, uh, there's, a, there's a convergence of forces retreating into this bubble of reality, I think, where everybody's reacting off old fears old assumptions i guess so i'm this is i'm not very good at the broad in general <laughs> but i think i think we're all looking at um from from our various points of view the way the the media and the discourse of the nation state is coming apart at the seams mm. i suppose yeah i mean i guess i would say that there there's um at least one of the themes we've been exploring and one of the themes I've been writing about a lot lately, along with other people, is the whole social engineering theme of how our uh, you know, discourse in society is so, so controlled by various factors that are oftentimes these days uh, completely invisible to most people. Like, I mean, in you know historically there you know and and still today there's the massive influence of the corporate media and in its especially in its new but not new uh form of uh you know sort of polarized liberal conservative you know no longer pretending you know no longer engaging in that brief phase during which uh mainstream media uh preferred to pretend to be objective you know uh, but now they're back to their old, uh, you know, polarized, uh, you know, format. And, um, you know, that has its fairly obvious impact on the discourse. Um, if you're, you know, mainly seeing both conservative and liberal in, in the context of the past week, media telling us, um, you know, support Israel. This is the worst, worst violence to happen to Jews since the Holocaust. And, and uh, those Palestinians are all, you know, human animals, you know. If that's the discourse that we're all, you know, we're being fed by the corporate media and by Biden and Netanyahu, then that's um, what a lot of people will be swallowing naturally. But um, with social media, um, the, the uh, it, as we're seeing again with what's going on now, as we see every time there's anything in the news that that you know generates any kind of. Uh, controversy you know then then social media the way it's designed will be sure to amplify the controversy and de-emphasize any kind of like reasonable conversation or mm -hmm. efforts to find uh, common ground yeah and that's like by the by the nature of the algorithms the way they're designed in terms of like yeah. you know facebook in particular but as also other platforms they all have their own 
evil problems. But, you know, Facebook, it, it's particularly about algorithms, which posts you ever see. Um, yes, absolutely. And, and, um, that's a, a picture that can easily look completely devastating and you're helpless in front of it. Mm. Right. And, and I think that's, you know, part of the immediate reaction that, that all of us have been going, all of us who've, who've, uh, been fighting for the cause of Palestine, Palestinian liberation since, I mean, I've been there since I was a teenager you know um and which is not to say that the that the hamas attack on the israeli you know uh, you know any attack on the civilians is is a war crime that's that's it all right that's all we can do that's all we can say but war crime what's a war you know i, I mean i like i feel like let's there's plenty of people out there putting those arguments right but I don't know, I think um, all we can do is 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 intervene in the algorithms. <laughs> you know what I mean? And 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 we do. You know, that's an important thing to remember. Is um, the other the other side of social media, and there's always another side because um, there's always an alternative press. <laughs> um, the, the Arab Spring is an example of the way social media can be used to to connect up social movements mm. you know that, that globality that's really important and you can see that in this because all of the governments all of the all of the european governments have gone straight back into the to the war party line you know it's all it's all mindless patriotism favor oh. of israel everybody you know the uk is putting up israeli flags on UK government buildings, oh my God, right? So, but the populations of all those countries have gone. Come on, <laughs> you know, you you you've seen the pro and and this this is how you overcome apartheid regimes, right? <laughs> that is is that's how we overcame the apartheid regime in South Africa is for the world to be continually focusing, putting pressure on. Right. So what this has done has at least uh, drawn attention to the media blackout, I suppose. Yeah. And, and that's a good thing, I think. It is a good thing. I don't I don't know how many people are noticing the media blackout, at least in, in my, the, you know, my little perch here. Um, I mean, the it, it's all just from the, in the mainstream stuff and even some of this alt stuff, it's a lot of just banging the war drum. The, the, and this is a sign of, of a society that is decomposing and, and is losing that cohesion is, I think, um, just the bloodlust on some of these politicians or some of these um, radio commenters and, and, and men using, you know, very violent language and racist language. Um, I, I hope... I hope people can see through the the, the blackout. I really do. Um, but you you do have a different take on it, do you, Paula? And and you're, what about you, David? I mean, you think this people are seeing how one sided it is? Because I I don't get that impression. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on the matter. I mean, I, I well one there's there's different indications that I've been getting that there's a lot of uh, uh, there are a lot of people out there who don't uh, share the you know the corporate and you know the the mass media you know Biden Netanyahu perspective and um, I mean one thing is that's been I've noticed recently is um, on just some of the NPR you know shows where they invite callers to call in and and uh, share their opinions I mean that's not a not a great measure of much of anything but uh, they've been getting flooded uh, with uh, calls um, from from people who, who don't share the pro-israel bias and are, are horrified by the uh, carpet bombing of Gaza and uh, that's that's been and then also uh, I've been hearing from people who have been at uh, various uh, pro, uh, you know, Palestine uh, protests um, at in various places, who were expecting hostility from the from local people and received none. Mm. So, I mean, you know, that's interesting. 
Yes. And that, and that's, and Yay! you know, to, <laughs> and to, to, um, distracted by children. <laughs> uh, I think that's, that's one indication. And, and, you know, uh, if you, if you look past the immediate reactions of rage and despair, I think what, what's, you know, net, Netanyahu has has allied with the far right in Israel, right? And that, that that's different from the last time he was in government. And I think he's, you know, we we know, and people like me and you who follow these things, I know two things, right? I know that there is growing dissent within Israel over the occupation. You know, that whole the whole movement of uh, young people in Israel refusing national service on the basis of the, that they they don't want to su support the occupation. You know, uh, there's there's on the ground in Israel and people of Israel have been leaning towards peace, right? And and I think Netanyahu has used this as an excuse, right, to to get this genocide over with before the Israeli people have time to think, right? He's relying on exactly the same techniques that the British provoked during World War One, right? This whole, you know, beheading babies, that, that, that's all, you know, the Germans are raping nuns, right? It's all, it's textbook, right? You know? Babies and incubators from Iraq one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, you know, I remember that stuff. Because I was, I was in my last year of high school when uh, the first Gulf War happened, and I was, you know, that was my first experience of of being an activist on a, you know, adult basis by myself, really, rather than going to the things my parents did, right, or, or being a student activist, and uh, so it's a key experience in my life, and the assumption that I supported Saddam Hussein because I was opposed to the invasion of Iraq. That, like, that was, I was young, right? I didn't expect that sort of thing. But I didn't get that from the left. I got that from the right, mm. right? And this is that Dave Zirin article I sent you, right? Uh, and this is what he says. He, you know, he expects to get um, uh, opprobrium from the right, about his being a Jew and his position on Palestine, but he's getting it from the left. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's getting it from the liberal left, right? And it's devastating. Yeah, that's and, and that the you know, uh, it's it's got. I suppose for me, the thing about it is, if you deny another group of people's humanity you deny your own right mm. and and that is, that is what Netanyahu and his people are doing is they are turning the Israeli population into monsters and I I, I don't think that's going to last right and this is why I think he's going so hard right and you know he's basically announced his intention to wipe every Palestinian from the Gaza Strip, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think he wants to get it done before Israelis start going, wait, hang on, wait, what? <laughs> you know? So. Well, I was struck with David's late article, and the audience can see uh, David's website and Paulus again in the description. But, uh, David, you have an article about, um, you know, R9-11 R from and, and quoting an Israeli, and... Uh, what's the gist of that? Because I think this fits very much into what Paul is um, talking about, of using opportunities um, uh, for certain directions and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, the, the narrative, uh, the media narrative, uh, both with 10-7 uh, and with 9-11, uh, 
uh, is uh, basically everything started with uh, these attacks by uh, Al Qaeda and you know or Hamas and uh, and, and you know history just uh, began on those days and and you know everything else uh, before it didn't happen and so the media is is constantly using that kind of narrative and even when um, like recently in the with this the dozens of uh, Palestinian civilians that have been killed in the past few days by settlers and uh, is military in the West Bank um, they uh, this has um, been th th this has been explained as as a retribution um, for the uh, at the attacks by Hamas in southern Israel by the journalists uh, which of course is um, you know just not uh, sort of understanding or, or you know reporting on the fact that this kind of settler violence uh, has been increasing and uh, and going on for for decades and especially in the past few years so I mean, in particular, yeah, and there, there's so many other parallels between uh, these uh, events. Uh, uh, really, uh, just uh, hard to even, you know, I mean, we could just keep on going with with so many parallels between these two events and how the how the governments, uh, in you know, and those that support these governments in both cases um, are planning or on or in the case of the U.S. did use and, and in the case of Israel are using uh, these. Uh, these attacks as uh, you know um, as excuses to remake the world or or their region of it uh, and of course um, they're they're justifying um, I mean they're you know when they say this was our 9/11 all the politicians who are saying that are saying that look you you use 9/11 as a justification to uh, destroy uh, several countries and kill millions of people and now we're going to use this event as a as an excuse to do, um, the, you know, to to commit genocide and, and drive all the Palestinians out of uh, Gaza and and commit, um, you know, when they say that no, no, they're talking about right now the Nakba is happening again. Uh, that's exactly the case, but it's really um, uh, far worse uh, because because the, you know that when people left before, I mean, yeah, there were a lot of people leaving because they were fleeing uh, from uh, massacres or the fear of massacres. Um, but also people were leaving because they were hoping that uh, there was going to be a, a liber liberation war, uh, you know, and it, you know, that didn't work out uh, for, for the Palestinians. But then, of course, they were never let back into their homes. And, you know, right now they're fleeing, they're being forced to, or that's it, the Israeli government would like them to be forced to, you know, all leave Gaza where they're supposed to go, who knows, but you know, uh, go to the southern half, and then after they do that, I don't know what the next plan is. But it, this is genocidal. Uh, it, it, these yeah. are genocidal activities that are going on here, and and there's no, um, you know, liberation war to rescue them from, you know, with other countries involved, and and there's nowhere for them to go. So, like, I mean, th this is not. It's like it's a bit like the Trail of Tears, except there's no Oklahoma, you know. And and just to change the metaphors around a bit from the point of view of uh, starting a war. This is not Israel's 9-11. This is Israel's Pearl Harbor, right? <laughs> this, this is the, the, it's the, it's the Gulf of Tonkin, if you like, right? It's the, it's the justification for starting the war and convincing the population because this is the thing about modern in wars. It's not a bunch of, it's not a little group of professionals, right? I mean, we've gotten away with that with Afghanistan, right? You're mobilising an entire population here with propaganda, yeah? They've called, Israel's called up all their reserves, you know? It's, it's, it's operating on, they're operating on people's minds. It's the first casualty. And that, and, and, that's what um, so Pearl Harbor was the opportunity that F FDR had to to get the United States involved in the war because it wasn't didn't look like it was going to happen before that but he wanted to be not in Japan he wanted to be in Germany right <laughs> um, but that's what that's that's how it works right well and, something that strikes me with um, 
Pearl Harbor, Gulf of Tonkin, 9-11, and this uh, event in Israel. Uh, from my reading of, of all of those events, including this latest one, is that the party being attacked wasn't completely unaware that they were going to be attacked. They kind of, in my, my reading of the events, in each instance, let it happen at the very least. Yeah, uh, you know, like, uh, so my partner. I mean, is it, it's kind of it's a, hard to. Yeah. It, you, my my partner is a he's a military historian and a, a geopolitical sort of analyst. He does big picture stuff, and we've talked about this. And you know, and the fact of the matter is, intelligence is is hard, right? And it, and it, and I think it's a similar situation with nine eleven. They knew something was up. The intelligence services knew something was probably coming, but not specifically what. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I think um, at the very least you can see that that the Israeli government sees the opportunity, yeah, to do something that they have been planning on doing. You know, Netanyahu turned up to the UN earlier this year and presented a map that disappeared Palestine, right? Mm -hmm. You know, th th this is, Hamas is seeing all this, right? You know, the Palestinian people are seeing all this. Over the course of this year, the, the, the uh, bulldozing of settlements and, and the killing of Palestinian children who, you know, half the population in Gaza is under 15, right? Um, that's been stepping up. Right. And and nobody, nobody has been talking about it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and and as usual, this all of this, you know, the, the Palestinian side of things just gets blanked out of the of the Western media, the European media, unless you go looking for like Al Jazeera and stuff like that. Right? Um, but everybody's paying attention now, you know. That's and, and I think I, I think that in, uh, ultimately that this is there's a pattern here, and this has happened. This keeps happening. Governments keep retreating into more authoritarian tactics, and they work less well every single time, right? That and and you know that's what's happening at the moment all over the world. You're you're here. In Australia, in the United States, particularly in the Anglosphere, right, which is, you know, let's, but, but not exclusively. Um, look at Iran, right? There's, there's an unstoppable social revolution going on in Iran. It's disappeared from the news, right? But how much of what's going on here and Iran's position on it is, is the Iranian government trying desperately to hold on to its own power, right? Mm. Again and again, it's, you're seeing this everywhere. This is the Tories in the UK, right, who just are completely out of touch with reality, right? There's some really weird shit going on there, right? Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's happening in a lot of governments around the world. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, late-stage capitalism. <laughs> Sorry. But... I also think, um, you know, that's the that's the two sides of it. If you've got a dominant discourse, you always have the marginalised discourse. It comes along with it, mm. right? It's not hard to find in that way. Uh, it's just a question of flipping it and looking at it from the other side. And so that's when I do that, which is, you know, what my that's my reason for studying anything. Mm. That's what you said is 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 governments, states, political corporations, they are always reactive ultimately. And and it's it's because the social change comes from the bottom up. Yeah. Uh, and that I suppose that gives me hope. <laughs> right. I don't know, but that's you know, um it, it, in the in the meantime, you there's all this grief and rage and devastation and um, that also should be acknowledged, right? You know, none of this is good. War crimes are not good. Wars are not good. 
<laughs> you know, fear mongering is is not good, you know, and a lot of this is so th this is another thing I wanted to bring up because you you have an institute, John. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Uh, uh, and uh, we're, we're, you're starting a new field of study called fearology. Yes. Um, well, we, we uh, have the Fearology Center that we lately started, but the gentleman who, who's behind that has been, uh, he's been, been at it quite a while, you know, probably up in 30 years with that topic. So uh, my, Michael Fisher, and uh, I think it's very appropriate to, <laughs> to this discussion. So uh, thanks for bringing that up there, Paula. Yeah. That's, what is, what uh, tell, can you tell us more about that, John? I sure can. Yes. Um, so uh, early this year on the series, in fact, I interviewed Dr. Michael Fisher up in Canada and his area of expertise, uh, David, and for the audience who are unfamiliar, Paul has done a bit of homework there, so good on you for that. Um, but by way of introduction, um, uh, Dr. Fisher is um, been publishing now, uh, I, I would reckon probably 30 years on the topic of fear in, in um, society in general, uh, looking at just a, as you would look at history um, through a, a, um, a female lens or uh, some some sexual minority lens or, or whatever, a million different things. Um, he says, well, a, a valuable tool would be to look at the influence of, of fear on history, for instance, and, and to look at different events uh, such as um, the stuff in Israel, some of the other ones we talked about today. What is the role of fear in, in human action? And, and not just to wallow in that, but, you know, hopefully fearlessness. And he has a whole uh, corpus of, um, of uh, writing on that point and the, the potential uh, for human thriving um, uh, with that. And then just actually earlier today, and I'll put a bow on the uh, introduction here. Earlier today, Dr. Fisher uh, emailed me and he has an, another book. He's quite a quite prolific writer. Um, and actually- I our, admire that so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, as a slow writer myself, I'm, I, I'm uh, envious. But um, he's, he's published um, uh, lately. And uh, actually, we have the Fearolo Apocasta Stacy's Fearology Center on the cover, so we're, we're um, I guess it's official now. <laughs> um, but uh, did that answer your question, David? Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating, yeah. And it, I mean, and fear obviously plays such a huge role in so much of, I mean, the, the process of vilifying enemies in order to get you to uh, hate them enough to go bomb their families and commit ethnic cleansing and whatever else you know that that requires a lot of uh, instilling of fear and doesn't it yes it requires an enormous and very active effort because you know the natural tendency of human beings is to see another human being's humanity right that's just that's that's how we are as a species so you know noam chomsky said this in an interview during the uh, second, I think the second invasion of Iraq. Mm. Why don't they just, why doesn't the US government just say, look, we want the oil, we want the resources, you know, this is our way of maintaining control in the Middle East. That's why we're doing it. Because that's the truth, right? It's a lot easier to just say the truth and go about your day, right? But they don't do that. Why don't they do that is because they know that people are basically decent, right? So, yeah, fear, I mean, for me, this is a, I've been going back to some studies in social psychology for various reasons. And and so, you know, the, the key text for me in all of that, obviously, was Eric Fromm's Fear of Freedom. Mm. Right? And that that's the basic gist of, of his argument is what gave rise to Nazism in Germany was everybody's uh, fear of chaos, I suppose, right? People, people were persuaded to give up their own freedom for the security of belonging to an ideology, to a fatherland, to a, uh, something bigger than themselves, right? And Hitler convinced people that that was in their interests, right? Um, and it's and, and, you know, his basic argument is, is the, it's a condition of capitalism. You create that fear 
the, what happens is you you've lost your security, right? You know, I mean, you know, like this is to go right back to the basics. Feudalism, in, in feudalism, there was no social mobility, right? But you un, you had a place in the in the society, right? It was it was all structured in such a way that that everybody felt they belonged where they were, right? Um, capitalism broke those bonds, but it didn't it didn't replace them with a with a freedom too. So he mm. so you got a freedom from the feudal chains, but you don't have a freedom to uh, or a right to you know security, you know being fed, being housed, all that sort of stuff. And that uh, so the you know the Versailles Treaty exacerbated that in Germany enormously. And uh, so you created a state of existential fear, and that's why people gave over their their personal freedom to to the to the Nazis in order to you know overcome that fear. So you know that's a really uh, basic aspect of that, and that that's been the standard way of doing it, you know, for a long time now. Mm. That, that that that's how they get us, and yes, and uh, absolutely, a philosophy of fearlessness is what's required. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of fear and instilling fear and and uh, changing governance structures based on in, instilling enough fear in the population, I mean, the Nazis uh, capitalized so much also on on the uh, fear produced by the actual physical conflict that was happening all over the cities of germany between communists and fascists for years but uh then also the same tactics been used by the media and, and politicians uh, of the right in particular in the u.s <clears throat> to instill fear in in the uh, street protests and uh oh yeah and and then I think uh, you know, through all sorts of fancy and strange machinations, um, some of the people who are the most um, sort of eloquent apologists for rioting and looting and whatever else um, then get propelled to uh, positions of of uh, really stunning levels of prominence within uh, liberal democratic mainstream kind of discourse. Um, because uh, somehow it it it's it it seems to have been a convenient uh, argument to embrace uh, for a while um, in in order to avoid uh, more uh, the elephant in the living room, I'd say, in terms of like the the the, the massive uh, and growing class divide that was uh, really um, exacerbated by the pandemic. And then if somebody if everybody had other things to focus on, um, I think it worked very well for both uh, liberal and and conservative media and politicians to, for everybody to focus on th other things um, very oh, heatedly yeah. and yeah, mm -hmm. with lots of fear and on both sides. Yes, absolutely, and and you know you got the thing is the thing to do is follow that fear, right? Because if you follow that fear, you will see what they want you to not look at. Right? It's a, it's a distraction technique, right? And mm -hmm. that was you know they had everybody focusing nicely on the Ukraine and all that sort of stuff, and um, you know. And now, you know, Zelensky's major concern, people are going to stop paying attention, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know. Well, uh, I mean, it's, it's yeah. um, speaking about fear too, is um, before the thought slips me, is uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, I don't believe it was in the last year, but maybe the year before, uh, and plugging this also into how this uh, event in Israel will, will be used, uh, you know, for 20 years, we've been watching uh, uh, the Israeli government say Iran's five minutes from a nuclear bomb. Iran's five minutes from a nuclear bomb. And I believe it was in the last two years. He actually, I don't know if it was the UN or on the Knesset or whatever, he had a a, um, a poster made up and it had a little bomb with a ticking, uh, you know, little fuse on it. And Iran's only five minutes. I mean, that just total schlocky, be afraid, be very afraid. Um, and... Yeah. Uh, the only one final thing is, as it appears to me, the Ukraine adventure of NATO has fallen apart. Now all the attention can can 
of the media and so forth can now go to Israel while that thing just goes down the tubes for the globalists or whatever. So it's it's interesting how this fits certain agendas, both within Israel and then within the certain power circles. Talk about yeah. that more. What agendas? And because, of course, they want the, 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 what what I'm just continually struck by, which is the double standard, and and of course the uh, which has just gotten to such such intolerable levels in the past week that it's just. You know, I mean, it seems like a complete comedy show. Except I'm the only person laughing. It feels like you know. I mean, like it, I mean, of course, it's comedy about mass slaughter. But like, I mean, just it was just when was it? Um, Ursula von der Leyen, the European Union Parliament head, you know, who we hear from all the time, she was saying uh, that that the, uh, the the Russian bombing campaign in Ukraine that was uh, depriving the Ukrainians of electricity was a war crime. And, uh, you know, very explicitly, the fact that they were preventing them from having access to electricity, that specifically was a war crime. It is I mean, a war crime. <laughs> which yes. it is, right? And, um, collective I mean, punishment, illegal uh, occupation, collective punishment. <laughs> yeah, which the U.S. has a long history of imposing on other countries. And, of course, this is never mentioned. But here we are right now, this week, you know, in different parts of the world, you know, different populations are being uh, deprived of their access to electricity and other vital resources, uh, you know. Mm. And uh, when, when the Russians are doing it, then it's a war crime. And when Israel's doing it, it's just their... They're pounding Gaza. They're they're uh, softening up Gaza. They're you know whatever kind of bizarre words they use for killing children. Yeah, I saw this morning. I saw a video. Brown children. Uh, you know, I don't know what you call that in fireworks, but it you know you've we've all seen the fireworks where it where it blows up and then it like tinkles down like um, icicles. Yeah. I mean, they, it was this, but it was white phosphorus. They were white dropping on it. And it was really quite surreal to see. Yeah. In and itself, it burns your a skin war off. crime. Yeah. Chemical, and it's, the, it's the, illegal. Chemical weapons, yes. Yeah. And this I mean, is international why, law. What's the legal reason we went, that the Western allies went to war with Germany? It's because they were engaging in an illegal occupation of Belgium and in collective punishment. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's exactly, that's what's going on. This has been going on in Palestine for 70 years. An illegal occupation, collective punishment. And I'm no. thinking about the, the, same, the same propaganda with babies UN in Belgium said so any in the first war. Sorry, mm -hmm. Yeah, the UN has said so any number of times, right? And in the First World War with uh, the, the baby propaganda, it was the babies on bayonets in the First World War. And then the Gulf yeah. War was the babies in incubators. And then mm. it was then it was now it's the babies beheaded. But and then nobody cares about the actual babies that are being burned off and all this this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because That's, there's been so many babies di dying in, in in beneath collapsed buildings being bombed with no warning in Gaza. But they're not even talking about those babies on these same programs. It's it's just then you know of course if you're watching certain media like Al Jazeera, you're getting you're hearing a lot about both uh, the, the suffering everywhere and, and on both sides yes. are doing great coverage of in Gaza and in southern Israel. But yes. the, uh, the the Western press has just been like you know worse than just about ever that I've ever seen. I mean, it, you know, they don't even, they don't even have, you know, people, even if they're talking to somebody in Gaza who's perfectly fluent in English, they will voice over their, um, you know, their, their, their speaking because of the sounds of the bombs in the background. I'm, and they don't say that that's what they're doing, but I know that that's why they're doing it. Cause like, you know, because so, sometimes you can hear the person that they're voicing over and they first, they, you, you hear the first few seconds and you can, you can hear, like, you can guess at why they're voicing them over, right? Sometimes it's legit, like they're, the, the connection is so bad, you can barely understand them. You know, sometimes their accent or sometimes they're speaking another language. But in this case, you know, just a couple of days ago, it was, it was very odd. Obviously, they are only doing this because they don't want us to hear the bombs falling. Yeah. And uh, speaking of foreign press, I, I yesterday um, was reading some um, articles from Al Jazeera Arabic, which the Google Translate had, had helped me <laughs> with. And um, so something I've not at all heard in the English language coverage of this is Hamas's assertion that Israel was planning something like this incursion 
before before anything with Hamas was going to happen, and this incursion was planned already. Why why did they close the settlements in Gaza in the first place? You know, almost twenty years ago. That's exactly why they did it. it How did they a, mobilize their so plan. fast? <laughs> you don't mm. mobilize an army overnight like that. Well, right? they got their no. huge volunteer army system, right? I mean, that's it. But mm. they're uh, even so, you know, it's been planned. Yes. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, if you look back over just the course of this year, you can see that the, that the Israelis have been planning something. They've stepped up this campaign, this genocide campaign. You know, like, uh, you know, all of the Palestinian groups I follow have been desperately trying to get people to care about it all year, mm. right? For, for Hamas many can years, see all of that. The, you know? the embargo has been going on since, what, 2007 now? They haven't been able yeah. to rebuild. They haven't been able to import construction materials or, you know, anything. They and have no clean water. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, this, I think that Hamas did what it did in order to draw attention to all of this stuff that was going on. And, you know, Hamas are a political organisation, right? They have their own agenda. Once they got political power, they got caught up in all of that Arab nationalism stuff. I'm, you know, I'm not denying that and I'm not, and I'm not denying that what they did was a war crime, right? But they may have thought that this was the only way to get some attention, right? To get people, because this, so, you know, it's a, it's a combat situation, right? If you do this, you're going to provoke the reaction, right? And I don't, I don't think Hamas expected a reaction on this scale, right? But what that's, you're going to do is force the world to see the Israelis show their hand. And that's what's happened. Right, it's all the agenda's completely out in the open now. Their their defense minister said the Palestinians are animals, <laughs> and we're going to wipe them out. You know, it, it's been coming out of the mouths of of the Israeli government, right? And and so it shows. That's what it shows you. And and uh, you know that that's a it's a act of desperation, right? This is the thing about about terrorism in this instance and as it we is, can see even after they're talking about doing this i mean they're getting mm -hmm. pushed back from different uh, you know multilateral institutions like the world health organization which is you know and you know other groups that from the un that are saying this is totally crazy but you know they're, they're just getting political bombing un schools in gaza the un right. schools hospitals uh, yeah. you have mosques many 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 mosques but the the, uh, the they're still just getting political cover from the U.S., U.K., France. They're just saying, you know, you got they got to do what they got to do, and and it's just, uh, I mean, of course, it's, it's it's the same kind of tactics the U.S. used in Fallujah. No different. Yes, yes, but people every time this happens, people believe it less. <laughs> you know, this is what this is like. Like you, you can look at the gaps. You know, there was a long time before, a relatively long time between the start of the Vietnam War and the reaction to it, uh, you know, the, the movement against the war. It took several years, right? When the, when the invasion of Iraq happened, the, the anti-war movement mobilised pretty much immediately, right? Every single time these things happen, that's what happened in Iran, that was immediate, right? As, so, as soon as those riots started in Iran, Everybody around the world knew and reacted to it in some fashion or another, yeah. And that's that's the other side of social media, I suppose. Mm. Um, is that immediate, real time? You know, they. I mean, you can. Well, it's you can the internet. Sense anyway. the bombs in the background, all of you like, right? But anybody can get onto Instagram and find like reports from on the ground, and the bombs are in the background. Right. But the, it depends on whether Instagram is is uh, how they're doing their algorithms and whether you're oh, yeah. ever going to see that stuff. I mean, I don't think we, we and, can and they possibly... are censoring stuff. Yeah, yeah oh, big YouTube's time. YouTube's taking time. low keys video down. Oh, big know, time. And little... it's not just about the censorship, though, but also about the, the throttling of content with the algorithms. I mean, you know, what, during the Arab Spring, they wanted us to see, I mean, and, you know, 
perhaps for, for, for all the right reasons, but they wanted us to see that content. And yeah. uh, if they didn't, if they hadn't wanted us to see it, they could have throttled it. I mean, I'm, you know, it, and it, this just pushed it up in the algorithms, push it down in the algorithms, and they do that kind of stuff all the time. And we yeah. don't even have any idea to what extent they're doing it because, you know, nobody's monitoring them. I mean, yeah. there's some people trying to do that, but the, the amount of monitoring compared to the amount of, that they're doing it, I mean, in yeah. some cases, it's really obvious, like suddenly when you get half the traffic from Facebook you were getting the day before for your news platform, <laughs> you know, then you know that there's some throttling, serious throttling going on. But that also happens when it comes to like anybody trying to organize uh, solidarity or communicate with each other on the ground mm -hmm. in Cairo or something like that. I mean, they can either facilitate it or they can make mm -hmm. it impossible. And, you know, if we were just using the Internet and, and, uh, and means that we had some kind of actual control over um, as we were doing all over the world prior to 2006, uh, we could do much, much better organizing. And I mean, I think generally the best organizing that I've seen in my lifetime w was happening um, it, in the late 90s and early 90s. And, and I attribute that largely to the Internet and the, to the Internet not being controlled by corporations yet. Speaking of one story that, that got through uh, almost like um, a quarterbacker, um, one of the articles you sent, Paula, had um, a reporting on, on Dr. Mustafa Barghouti, and some words of, of uh, truth seem to have gotten through on a network, which I'm absolutely contemptible. On CNN, about. no less. Yeah. Yes, one of the most um, uh, shill intelligence agency uh, operated uh, channel somebody actually like a quarterback <laughs> broke through and can you describe uh, some of those uh, statements of of um the man uh yeah okay i, I well i've been on al jazeera too constantly i mean he's he's a wonderful yes. wonderful guy but they only they only talk to him on cnn you know on certain rare occasions when when they you know feel like they actually need a legitimate palestinian perspective here or hanan ashrawi she's another one i mean you'll hear her regularly on you know platforms like al jazeera but you know on the others they, they know she exists they know Noam, for that matter they know noam chomsky exists too and occasionally when they're looking for actual intellectuals with with real analysis of something that's going on they'll actually call him up you know once every yeah, 20 right. years yeah yeah absolutely and it was and you know it just kind of slipped through the cracks right i mean this is the thing right it's it looks monolithic <laughs> all of this stuff looks monolithic but there's always spaces you know this is you know um at, look at angela davis right who gets blacked out and censored and all kinds of things all the time but everybody knows who she is and everybody knows what her opinions are right yeah. so um yeah and, and it was just an interesting example of uh the initial <laughs> Some, something surfacing in the initial chaos but this is the, you, know, you know all over the united states there are palestinians everywhere right everybody you you, you can't de really dehumanize on an active day-to-day -day basis the people that you live with live around right you have to find another way to justify them um you know <laughs> i Marion Bradley wrote a book once and one of her characters said, uh, if human beings were logical, we'd all be Unitarians, you know, <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> uh, so, you know, a lot of it, it it's, um, there are, there are ways of working through it. And I think all that we, all that we can do on all of us intellectuals, uh, uh, artists, um, you know, practitioners of, of liberation just have to keep talking about it, you know, and, and finding the spaces where we can get that stuff out and uh, acknowledge everybody else who's doing that as well. I don't know, you know, we do what we can. We're all doing what we can, I suppose. Yeah, and as the uh, the clock bears down on all of our obligations, uh, whether they be medical appointments, children, or airplanes, um, 
one of the things, uh, one of the common themes that I think has has come up over these these delightful conversations over the years um, has been the necessity to keep talking, and especially for intellectuals, artists, and and, and that lot. Um, to keep doing that because the tendency is we get more isolated and, and uh, the controllers continue their their grind on society is for everyone to hunker down and 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 I just see this in people I interact with professionally and so forth and <clears throat> people don't want to talk to you unless you agree with every single thing that they they hold and it's it's um, as things get crazier, it's, it's more and more important uh, for people to keep just talking and and keeping that that um, aspect of humanity and and that touch alive because it's it's um, something that's warred against greatly. Yes, and I think I think yeah, that's yeah. yeah that's that is why we're all here is we, we want to be the best humans we can be, <laughs> and and we're going to just keep emphasizing that. And and, and so on yeah, that I, subject I of communication. Mm -hmm. Oh, ah, <laughs> I think David cut out there. He, he, oh, there we go. You'll have to say that again, David. You froze up. Oh yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're some. Yeah, I just there's some kind of disconnectivity issue happening here. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's uh, but um, the um, uh, oh gosh. Where were we? Maybe there? it's the algorithm. Oh yeah, the um the 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 question of communication. I think is, is such a vital one for our yeah. times when we're, yeah. you know, I mean, especially now with uh, like, I mean, this week the the what's going on is a perfect example of it. You know, so many people just taking a moral position based on woefully insufficient information or totally biased narratives that they've been fed all their lives, and then you know declaring their moral outrage and and declaring how everything should be different. And you know, there's no real communication or understanding in any of that you know and and real communication and real understanding is what we actually need and finding actual common ground and yeah even common ground with so-called terrorists and so-called whatever else we are calling each other you know we actually can find common ground we have to I mean, it's absolutely necessary you know because genocide is not an alternative you know that's not a solution for anything you know as we should know hopefully but apparently don't you know as a species generally or you know well, certainly the western the leaders of the west certainly don't know that but um that's uh that i was um in in this i have a new section on my website um uh, statement of principles davidrovics.com slash principles if anybody wants to check that out uh, which is very much on that very subject of, of the importance of actual communication and dialogue and discourse and and not uh, engaging in censorship and no platforming campaigns and algorithmic mm. throttling or any of those horrible things mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, we, we keep talking and we keep coming up with strategies of resistance. We keep breaking the mind-forged manacles and uh, freeing people from corruption. There you go. I just quoted a whole lot of William Blake there. I don't know if anyone <laughs> That's good. It's <laughs> a good place to knock off there with William Blake. So, Paula and David, thank you very much for... Uh, coming back and, and chatting and to do it at such a, a precipitous time, no less. So I appreciate your time and I appreciate the audience for your uh, attention and patronage as well. Thank mm -hmm. you so much, John. Take That's care, right. guys. Thank you. <laughs>